Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening here today. This is episode 10 of the Sports Analysis Podcast. This is your host, Craig Skiff. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It is time for my NFL 2021 season week three review. This week had some mild upsets. There were some blowouts. And there was some very entertaining football that was played this week. And I'm going to give us short detailed analysis of every game that's ha- that happened this, for week three. And we are going to start with the Thursday night game this past Thursday between the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans. Carolina beats Houston on th- beat Houston on Thursday 24 to 9 and it really didn't feel all that close in all honesty Panthers head coach Matt Rule has got that defense rolling right now They are a well coached team and Sam Darnold under offensive coordinator John Brady or Joe Brady I should say is starting to show what we saw from his days at USC and why he was taken with the number three overall pick in 2018 Sam Darnold was accurate 23-34 He had 304 yards, and he was averaging 9 yards per attempt. You can push it down the field. It can open up a lot of things. He didn't throw any touchdowns or any picks, but he did have two rushing touchdowns on the day. And when your offense is able to call those kinds of plays and be able to execute them, you have a real good chance to win. The Panthers had 67 plays compared to just 45 for the Texans. The Panthers owned the clock in this game. And the Texans just couldn't run the ball. They couldn't get anything going, really. Time of possession was 36 minutes for Carolina and 24 for Houston. And Davis Mills making his NFL debut as a starter. He didn't look impressive. He was 19 of 28 for 168 and one touchdown. 
Houston just could not run against Matt Rule's Panther defense. They look absolutely lost without Deshaun Watson, and they're going to continue to look that way. And I just don't think Deshaun Watson is going to really make much of a difference. The Houston Texans are probably the worst-run franchise in the National Football League. Or at least one of the worst. This Houston Texans team looked very timid. They did not look like they were ready for Thursday. The Panthers, meanwhile... They look rock solid, and they are probably the biggest threat in the NFC South to Tom Brady and his Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll see just how good of a coach Matt Rule truly is when his young Panthers face Tom Brady and his Buccaneers in their two Matt. Two head-to-head matchups later on this year. But at this moment, Panthers look really good. And the Texans look like they have a rudderless ship that isn't going anywhere. Let's move into the first few games on our Sunday schedule. The first one, the Buffalo Bills defeating the Washington football team and really just ripping them apart 43 to 21 Taylor Heineke in his first road start didn't have a very good outing He was 14 of 24, so under 60%. That's a bit of a red flag. 212 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. One of the bread and butter ways for Washington to beat you is is their ground game. They did not get that going at all. 25 running plays for just 78 yards. And that's not going to be able to win you football games if you're not able to establish your run in order to open up your passing plays. And let's just face it. They were outmatched at the most important position in the National Football League, quarterback. For Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, and for Josh Allen in particular, this game was the first time this season that we got, that we saw the flashes of the form that made him the MVP runner-up last year. Josh Allen was 32 of 43 for 358 yards, averaging 8.3 yards an attempt, 
Four TD passes, no picks, and he added a rushing TD of his own. Five total touchdowns. This is the kind of performance that Josh Allen needs to put on the board if the Bills are going to be a top-flight contender in the AFC. Which, in all honesty, the AFC is wide open. The Bills also had 33 carries, 33 rushing plays for 122 yards. So, they didn't have a... They barely had a better yards per attempt than Washington. But they got the plays on the ground that they needed to get. In order to really open up their offense. Cole Beasley had 13 targets in this game. Which is the most of any Bill receiver. He had 11 catches for 98 yards. And how about Emmanuel Sanders? Third most targets of any Bills receiver on the day. Had five catches, 94 yards, two scores. 34 years old and still able to produce at that age. Emmanuel Sanders, you have my respect, my good man. Stephon Diggs had the second most targets with 10, and he had the second most receptions at six catches for 62 yards. He wasn't as impactful as he would be, but he didn't really need to be. Because Josh Allen targeted nine different guys. So with that volume, he was able to spread the ball to the receivers that he wanted to get get it to. Austin Knox had had four catches for nearly 50 yards and a touchdown. The tight end. And Zach Moss... The, the scat back to Devin Singletary. And really, he's starting to become that number one back. He had 13 carries for 60 yards. He had 91 total yards in this game. And he also had a touchdown reception from Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills forced three takeaways. And Washington couldn't get the Bills off the field. This feels like the Bills that could be that legitimate AFC championship contender. That legit, a team that can, has a legit shot at getting to the Super Bowl. Let's now move on to Cleveland. Justin Fields in his NFL debut for the Chicago Bears could not get anything going against the Cleveland Browns. Miles Garrett led the way with four and a half sacks, a new franchise record, 
as they clobbered the Chicago Bears 26 to 6. Justin Fields had an absolutely horrific day. Granted, he didn't turn the ball over. But there was just nowhere for him to run. Justin Fields was 6 of 20. Yeah. For just 68 yards. Average less than three and a half yards per attempt. And he got sacked nine times in his NFL debut. That is one surefire way to get your quarterback banged up. That offensive line was just absolutely overmatched by this Browns front seven. As I stated earlier, Miles Garrett had a franchise record four and a half sacks. Jadavion Clowney had a sack. Ronnie Harrison had a sack. Karis McKinley, Malik Jackson, and Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa each had half a sack. They pressured Justin Fields all day. And the run game didn't help matters either. They only had 13 running plays for 46 yards. For the Browns? They kept the Bears off offense off the field all day. Baker Mayfield was 19 of 31 for 246 and a touchdown, no picks. He did take five sacks, but he kind of honestly could afford them because his team was just so far up. The Cleveland rushing game was what won the day for the Browns. 42 rushing plays, 215 yards. When you're averaging 5.1 yards a carry, that is what I call getting the job done. Nick Chubb was getting the tough yardage early on. Kareem Hunt got the was able to burst away for a for a 29-yard score earlier late in the game to really put it away. The Browns look complete right now. They really do. Kareem Hunt had a he had 155 yards of total offense when you factor in his six catches for 74 yards out of the backfield too. This was this is a typical Cleveland Browns game, and they just punished the Bears all game long. Like I said, it just doesn't help when your offensive line allows nine sacks on your rookie QB. That is 
more often than not going to sap his confidence big time. Browns get the win. They're 2-1, and one, and they are tied at the top of the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. Those two teams I'll talk about Cincinnati a little later. Baltimore, I'm about to transition to them right now because what a crazy game in Detroit. The Baltimore Ravens come away with a 19-17 win over the Detroit Lions. Baltimore had a 10-0 lead after halftime. Got outscored 17-9. But got a lucky freaking break when they needed it. Lamar Jackson was not accurate in this game. 16-31, One touchdown, one pick, and he got sacked four times. So he wasn't all that impressive. But he needed to make the plays when he did. For the 19 with less than a minute to go. One last chance for Baltimore. Zigs it down the field. And found his man on the other side of the 50-yard line. Then the madness happened. There was a clear delay of game that should have been called on Baltimore. No flag was thrown, and Lamar Jackson was able to spike it with three seconds to go. And that ultimately led to Justin Tucker, one of the most reliable kickers in the NFL today. He missed a field goal earlier in this game. First time he missed a field goal indoors for the first time in his career. But he more than made up for it in a big way on the final play of the game. Because Justin Tucker made the longest field goal in NFL history. The way he lined up for his kick Allowed him to get just enough to send that football over the crossbar and to hit off the crossbar and bounce through the uprights. What a devastating way to lose that game if you're a Detroit Lions fan. This franchise just can't have nice things. It seems seems like they really can't. They can't catch a break when they need it. The 
Kids were okay. Jared Goff was not bad. He was 22-30 for 217 and had a 7.2 YPA. Didn't throw any picks. Didn't throw any touchdowns. He was serviceable. But what a gut punch for the Lions to lose the way that they did. I have a feeling that's going to haunt the Lions potentially for the rest of this season. Lamar Jackson finds a way to get the job done. But it was an ugly way for the Ravens to win. And this was a game they probably should have lost. To be fright, to be frank. How they got away, how they got out of Detroit with the win is baffling. But they do just enough. And in the NFL, results are looked at in wins. And the Ravens got it done. Our last game for this, for part one of this week's episode, takes us to TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, Florida. The Arizona Cardinals end up climbing to three and Oh, on the season with a 31-19 win over the winless Jacksonville Jaguars. What words do I have for the Jaguars? They have now lost 18 straight regular season games. Which is obviously the longest losing streak in franchise history. And by the way, the NFL record for the longest regular season losing streak belongs to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their first two seasons of existence in 1976 and 1977. When they lost 26 straight games to begin their existence. The Jaguars could conceivably be going there. I won't bring that up. Won't bring that record up again. That record of futility. Unless they get over 20 losses. We'll see. Kyler Murray at his this is the first time this season that he was held without a touchdown pass. 
but he was still very accurate. He was 28 of 34 on the day. So he completed over 80% of his throws for 316 yards. But he did have a pick when the Cardinals were driving. Trevor Lawrence right now is just not getting any. He is really looking like a rookie quarterback in this league. With. And he was 22 of 34 for 219 yards. And he had two, he had two interceptions. One of them was a horrific throw on a flea flicker that wound up getting picked off by Arizona defensive back Byron Murphy, and he took it back for a pick six. Had 219 passing yards, one touchdown, the two picks, and he was sacked another three times. The crazy thing, Jacksonville got their offensive game going. They had 29 running plays for 159 yards. They were averaging five and a half yards a game. They actually had a 19 to 17 lead. Before Trevor Lawrence got picked off on that flea flicker, that Byron Murphy ran it ran back for a pick six. What the hell do you do if you're the Jaguars right now? You have your quarterback. You seemingly have your coach. But you're not going anywhere right now. For Arizona, they forced five takeaways in this game. Three fumbles and two picks. In this game, five takeaways from this Cardinals defense. And more often than not, they punt they made the Jaguars pay for points with points on the board. Cardinals go to 3-0, setting up a huge NFC West division showdown next week, which should be a dandy. Two 3-0 teams duking it out for NFC West supremacy early on in the year. Cardinals get the W to move to 3-0. Kyler Murray right now still looks like an MVP candidate. 
He's one of he's one of the front runners. That's gonna do it for part one of this episode. Stay tuned as we dive into part two and part three and look at the rest of the NFL schedule and the games that went down this weekend. Stay tuned. Okay, here we are with part two of my 2021 NFL season week three review. And let's dive right into our first divisional matchup between two teams from the same division. And it comes from the AFC West. The LA Chargers go into Arrowhead and knock off Patrick Mahomes and the two-time reigning AFC champions, Kansas City Chiefs, 30-24. to And the striking thing about this game, The Chiefs were sloppy. Four giveaways in this game. Well, the Chargers didn't turn the ball over at all. I can consider this a bit of an off game for Patrick Mahomes. He was 27 of 44 for 260 yards. Averaging just under 6 yards per attempt, which is not like Patrick Mahomes. With him, you typically see 9 or 10 yards per play. He had 3 touchdown passes, but he also had 2 boneheaded picks, including one late in the game against the Chargers. That ultimately gave L.A. the chance to win the game. The Chiefs had 30 running plays for 186 yards. They got their ground game going today. They were at 6.2 yards a pop on the ground. But more often than not, the team who makes the fewest mistakes is often going to win games. The Chiefs made four costly mistakes in the form of giveaways, and the Chargers did not. They did not turn the ball over at all. Michael Davis had two fumble recoveries for the Chargers. Alohi Gilman and Asante Samuel Jr. had had the two interceptions on Patrick Mahomes. Justin Herbert. A lot of people didn't think going into the 2020 draft he was a first-round talent. In the 17 starts he's had, I don't think you can 
say he was anything but a first-round talent. Justin Herbert is a franchise quarterback in this league. He's big. He has a great arm. And he is a very mobile quarterback who can make plays with his feet. And in today's NFL, you have to have a quarterback who can make the plays with his feet to be able to extend the drive and look for guys down the field. Justin Herbert is really your prototypical mobile quarterback in this league. And if the Chargers could somehow keep the mistakes, the self-inflicted wounds to a minimum, there is really no ceiling for this L.A. Chargers team. They look... I think they are potentially as complete a team as any in the AFC. And it's going to be very interesting to see just how far the Chargers can go. Next week, they have a matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll talk about them a little later on in this podcast. In fact, we'll talk about them in part three of this little podcast episode. But Brandon Staley made two big calls in this game on their final drive. Went for it on fourth and nine. At the 50? Got it. When you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, you can go for those plays. And then people call it a baffling decision. And they call it poor clock management. But the Chargers actually got a touchdown with less than a minute left in the game. To go up by six. Their kicker missed the extra point. But I think Brandon Staley personifies what you have to do. You have to keep your foot on the gas against the Kansas City Chiefs. He did that, and it brought them a win in Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes. Mike Williams, another huge day for him. Seven catches, 122, and two TDs. It seems that he and Justin Herbert have found some real great chemistry And Keenan Allen had 12 targets in this game and 8 catches for 50 yards and a score. All reliable coming through the second-year QB. This is a Chargers team that potentially can go anywhere. If they keep the self-inflicted wounds to a minimum, with Justin Herbert at the helm, this is potentially the best team in the AFC. Potentially bar none. Let's head on out to Foxborough for this next game. The New Orleans Saints. They're winning with defense. 
And it shows why. Three picks on rookie Mac Jones. One of them was returned by Malcolm Jenkins for a score. And the Saints beat the Patriots 28-13. to Patriots' run game was non-existent in this one. Only 17 rushing plays for 49 yards. And with Mac Jones, he was forced to throw 51 times because their ground game was non-existent. You don't, you don't win games by throwing 51 times and you fall behind that far. James Winston was 13 of 21 for 128. Yeah, two touchdowns in this game. He wasn't otherworldly. He didn't really have to be. When your defense can force three picks and return and return one of them for a score, you're going to be in pretty good shape. The Saints ran the ball 38 times for 142. They did better on the ground than the Patriots. This Patriots team right now, I think Mac Jones will eventually grow in that that franchise QB that Bill Belichick hopes he can be. But at the moment, he's going to be going through growing pains. This game right here was a perfect example. Mac Jones was 30 of 51 for 270. One touchdown, three picks. The picks he threw were a trope. One of the picks was not his fault because it bounced off a receiver's hands. And, and in fact, it went into the arms of Malcolm Jenkins, who took it back for a score. That one, you pro- you wouldn't be able to fault Mac, Mac Jones there. But the other two, he's got to be able to – he's got to learn – the NFL is a much faster game than college. Much faster. You see the guys in their second and third years really picking it up. And let's just say this. Rookies have not had a very good time at all in the in the 2021 NFL season. They have not played well. Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Trey Lance hasn't really played all that much. Zach Wilson. This this Patriots team looks lost right now. And they're going to have to kind of suck it up here. If they want to get back to their winning ways and allow Mac Jones to develop. Saints 2-1. Respectable win for them.
next week they are, they are in our nation's capital against Washington. Then that front seven. Whew, that'll be a tough job for Jameis. We'll see how they do. Let's move to East Rutherford, New Jersey. Ah, this is the start of the misery. The Atlanta Falcons go into MetLife Stadium and get their first win of the season against the hapless New York Giants, 17-14. Matt Ryan was 27-36, so very accurate. 243 yards. He didn't throw for a lot of yards, but he honestly didn't really have to. He also connected on two touchdown passes as well. The ground game, once again, was not that much of a factor for the Atlanta Falcons. They only had 70 yards on 20 plays. And once again, Calvin Ridley was Matt Ryan's favorite target. With 11 targets and 8 catches for 61 yards. But it was Cordero Patterson who had the who had most of the yardage and the most receiving yards of any Falcons receiver with 6 catches for 82 yards. And he had the second most targets of anyone. I mean, I know Kyle Pitts is a rookie, but he is a game changer at tight end. You need to really involve him a lot more in the offense. For the Giants, Daniel Jones was 24 of 35 for 266. No touchdowns, no picks. Saquon Barkley had the only touchdown of the game for the Giants. He had 16 carries for 51 yards. Daniel Jones showing the, showing the mobility from the quarterback position. He had eight carries for 39 yards. He was averaging almost five yards a pop. Giants had 100 rushing yards. Doesn't really matter. When your team gets beat on the final play of the game. Young Waku's only attempt, a 40-yarder, to close the game was enough for the Falcons to get the win. The Giants are 0-3, and they feel rudderless as well. They... Dave Gettleman's got to be removed as the GM of the Giants. If things get worse for the Giants, he needs to get canned. Just saying. 
I think the Giants have to start all start anew in the front office. Because as long as Dave Gettleman is running the show in the Big Apple, the Giants are not going anywhere. Falcons get the win. But in my opinion, they are the worst team in the NFC South. And I think they're going to get clobbered in those intra-division games that they have. The five that they have left. They already got clobbered once by the Buccaneers. We'll see. Let's go to Pittsburgh. Heinz Field. The Pittsburgh Steelers are falling apart with my own eyes. They lose at home 24 to 10 to the Cincinnati Bengals, who now sit at 2 and 1 and have a chance to go 3 and 1 this Thursday night when they take on the Jaguars at home. And personally, I would take the Bengals in that matchup. Joe Burrow 14 of 18 for 172. He had three touchdowns and a pick. And he wasn't sacked. He didn't have he didn't throw a lot of passes in this game. But he didn't really need to. And the Bengals had barely 270 yards of offense. They didn't have to have a whole lot of offense when their defense was making plays to give them shorter fields. This Cincinnati defense caused three takeaways, one fumble, and two picks. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have picked up right where they left off with the chemistry they had at LSU. Jamar Chase had five targets, which is the second most on the team. Four hundred. He had four catches for 65 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Boyd had the most targets of the Bengals with six. He caught four for 36 yards, and he also had a touch. He had Joe Burrow's first touchdown of the game. Big Ben. At this point, the Steelers, they have to know this is going to be the last season for Big Ben Roethlisberger. He can't be doing this shit anymore. He's 39. He can't be throwing the ball 58 times in a game. The biggest issue for the Steelers going into this season was their offensive line. And those problems flared up once again. 
Ben Roethlisberger was 38 58 for 318. Averaging barely, he was averaging just five and a half yards per attempt. He had a touchdown pass, but he got picked twice and he was sacked four times. And he's been getting knocked on his ass. The biggest problem for the Pittsburgh Steelers has been the offensive line. It is just not good enough to be a playoff team. At this point, the Steelers are going to miss the playoffs here. And I think this is going to be the first time in his career that Mike Tomlin's going to have a losing record as the head coach of the Steelers. I don't see any other any other way this can possibly go. The offensive line has been the biggest liability for the Steelers going into this season, and really last season too, and it reared its ugly head again today. They only ran the ball 15 times. They can't really run the ball because they don't have the offensive line to be able to use the holes for Najee Harris to run, create the holes for Najee Harris to run through. Najee Harris had 14 catches for 102 out of the backfield. He had the most targets of any Steeler on the team. You can't have that. You can't have your running back have the most targets of any Steeler receiver on this team and expect to win. You don't. This Steelers team needs to figure something out and fast. They have to get their offensive line fixed. Whatever they have to do. Otherwise, they're not going anywhere in this league. And more likely than not, this is going to be Big Ben's final season because he's been getting smacked. Even when he's not getting sacked, he's been getting smacked by opposing defenses. Sooner or later, it's going to potentially cause a major injury that's going to end Big Ben's career. And for the Steelers... They have to figure out a freaking succession plan with Big Ben. Otherwise, they're just going to be in a fucking tailspin next year. Enough about me ranting on the Steelers there. Let's head to Nashville, Tennessee. The Tennessee Titans beat... The Indianapolis Colts, 25-16. Carson Wentz was the starter for Indianapolis. I thought he would. I thought he had broken a broken a bone in his leg or something after what happened last week against the Rams. 
He did not look good at all. 19 completions on 37 pass attempts for 194. He averaged just over five yards of play. That's barely over the Gabbert line. He didn't make any mistakes throwing the ball. In Tennessee, despite losing the turnover battle 3-0, the Titans gave the ball away three times in this game. They prevented the Colts from really putting any points on the board. And they stymied them. Ground game is not effective. Ryan Tannehill was 18 of 27 for 197. Three touchdowns and two picks. Ryan Tannehill got picked off twice in this game. And the Titans still won by two possessions. Kenny Moore and Darius Leonard were able to pick Ryan Tannehill off. But... Titans still found a way to win. Ground game again. Doing the job for the Titans. 37 running plays. 180 yards. Averaging nearly 5 yards a pop. Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was going to get his. 28 carries for 113. Ryan Taylor had 5 carries for 56 yards. That When you can do that and average nearly 5 yards a pop. You're doing something right. Ryan Tannehill targeted 11 guys in this game. Nine guys caught a pass. But they lost two big-time receivers. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones both left this game with hamstring injuries. And that is going to really deplete this Titans receiving core. Normally, I would say they would kind of have to rely on their ground game and they would be in trouble. But when you have Derek freaking Henry on your team, I am not as worried as I would be we have one of the best running backs in the league. In number 22 for the Titans. I'm not too worried. The AFC South. This division looks like it is there for the Titans to win again. The AFC South is horrendous right now. The Houston Texans, they don't have their star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who's going through a shit ton right now. And he's not playing this year. And he's probably never playing for them again. They're one and two. The Colts and the Jaguars are both 0 and 3. The AFC South right now looks like it is absolutely ripe for the Titans to win for the second year running. 
like I said, but it's the NFL. Any given Sunday. But at this moment, Titans look good. They're sitting pretty top the AFC South, and right now, they would be my pick to win that division. That's going to do it for part two of this podcast. After this short, short transition, we'll get into our four afternoon games on this week three. Followed by our two national TV games. Stick around. Welcome back. Now it is time to dig into our four afternoon games from Sunday. We're going to start in the Mile High City. And there's probably no team in the NFL that has been a bigger pleasant surprise than the Denver Broncos. They took care of business this past Sunday, and they just absolutely mauled the hapless New York Jets. They, in fact, shut them out 26 to nothing. The Broncos controlled this game right from the get-go, and with each passing week... Zach Wilson is looking more and more like the biggest bust of the quarterbacks that were taken in this year's draft in the first round. Zach Wilson was 19-35, so under 60%. For 160 yards. He was under the Blaine Gabbert line. He averaged just 4.6 yards per attempt. No touchdowns. He got picked off twice. And he got sacked 40. He he got sacked five times in this game. This Denver defense is legit. Teddy Bridgewater didn't have to do a whole lot in this game. He was 19-25, very accurate. He had 235 yards, 9.4 YPA, very healthy for him. No touchdowns, no picks. He didn't make a mistake. In this And in this type of a game where your defense is just completely dominating the other team's offense, you don't need to make the mistakes. The Broncos also had Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams combined for 30 carries for 90 yards and two scores. Teddy Bridgewater was all, was able to complement the running game a little bit. He ran the ball four times for 24 yards. And the Broncos, 
and Teddy Bridgewater spread the ball around. He found eight guys, targeted eight guys, and they all had at least one catch. Tim Patrick had five catches for 98 yards today. Cortland Sutton had five catches for 37 yards. One week after he went off for nine catches for 159 against Jacksonville. KJ Hamler had one catch for 28 yards in this game. He was targeted three times. But that receiver core for the Broncos has gotten a lot thinner because KJ Hamler left the game, uh, left this game against the Jets and did not return. MRI revealed he had a torn ACL. And in this league, and really in any sports league, a torn ACL is a season ender. KJ Hamler, in my opinion, is a guy who can help take the top off of defense for big plays. And this is just really unfortunate for him. I hope he has a speedy recovery from the surgery and he's able to play the way that he's able to next year. Sucks for a young receiver like KJ Hamler to go down with an, with an injury like that. But I wish him the best in his recovery. And I hope, honestly hope he comes back onto the field next year stronger than ever. And the Jets running game. But back to how just, just how woeful the Jets are. Thirteen running plays. That's it. And they only netted forty-three yards. This is really telling me this Jets team has no idea what they're doing. Joe Douglas has to get something going. He has to do something here. He traded Sam Darnold away so that he could draft Zach Wilson with the number two pick. And the Panthers said, thank you very much. Look at them now. 3-0, Joe Brady has unlocked Sam Darnold's playmaking abilities at quarterback. And the Jets are still the Jets. The Jets have now lost 17 of their last 29 regular, 17 of their last 19 regular season games over the last 19 weeks. And I think it's only going to get worse from here. For the Broncos, they could not have started any better. Three and zero. 
Mark your calendars for October 17th. We may be in for a fireworks show and a dandy of a matchup. Is that because in week six, October 17th, the Denver Broncos host the Las Vegas Raiders in the Sunday afternoon game of the week on CBS. And speaking of the Raiders, let's move on to what happened in Las Vegas, shall we? The Las Vegas Raiders, who were down 14-0 early in the first quarter, find a way to win as they beat the Miami Dolphins 31-28 in overtime. Jacoby Brissett, in his first start for the Dolphins in place of two attack of Iloa, was 32 of 49 for 215 yards. He did not get over the Gabbard line in this game, and he was sacked twice. The Raider pass rush, that was so bad last year. They were one of the worst pass rushing teams in the league. In their first three games this season, the Raiders have seven sacks. That is pretty good so far. Let's see if they can keep it up. Without Joby, Jacoby Brissett's seven carries for 37 yards, The Dolphins, between Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown, had 20 carries for 96 yards. So not all that bad on the ground, but Jacoby Brissett just was not able to put the ball down the field and really open up that Dolphins offense, which had the return of Will Fuller in his first game as a Dolphin. Mike Kosicki had a great game from the tight end position. 10 catches for 86 yards. And he was targeted 12 times, second most. Jalen Waddle, first receiver taken in this draft, had 12 catches for 58 yards. He wasn't able to show... The speed that he had in Al in Al at Alabama. They just weren't able to really put anything any big plays, and that may have been what ultimately cost them. On the Raiders side of the ball. After a pick six thrown by Derek Carr that I am not going to fault him for. Derek thought his receiver Foster Moreau was going to keep going. 
but Foster stopped. And that caused the pick six from Landon Roberts. From Landon Roberts, I should say. The 85-yard pick six when the Raiders were just about to punch it in for the into the end zone. Derek Carr rebounded big time from that. He was 26 of 43. 386 yards. Averaging nine yards per attempt. And wound up throwing two touchdowns as well in this game. Derek Carr right now is playing at a near MVP caliber level. Gruden's been asking for Derek to take more shots down the field. This season, he is taking those shots and he is making defenses pay. He is really playing at a near MVP caliber form, and that's what the Raiders are going to need from him in order to really put themselves in a position to make the playoffs. Peyton Barber, 23 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown. He had some big-time runs in this game, including one deep into overtime to put the Raiders inside the 20 of the Dolphins to set up Daniel Carlson's game winner. Even though Daniel Carlson had kicked the game-winning field goal, he also had a missed PAT that would have made it a two-possession game, and it prevented Raiders from winning in regulation. Would have been a nine-point game. But what are you, what are you going to do? Brian Edwards, when it comes to big-time moments, he's become a monster for the Raiders. The 34-yard reception he had on the game-winning drive, Derek Carr threw that ball. It looked like you could throw that ball Drop that ball into a bucket with how accurate that was. Just letting his receiver run under it. Brian Edwards made that catch. He had the most receiving yards. He had five targets and three catches for 89 yards. Henry Ruggs had, was tied for the most targets of any Raider. Any Raider receiver tying... With Darren Waller. Had four catches for 78 yards. They The Dolphins knew that they had to essentially double-team Darren Waller to prevent him. The Dolphins were saying, if you're going to beat us, your other receivers had to step up. Unfortunately, unfortunately for the Dolphins, the Raiders did just that. They're 3-0. They were the 38th team in NFL history 
to start their season with three games against teams that won at least 10 games the previous season. They became the first to win all three of them and start 3-0. and Right now, the running game got a big boost from Peyton Barber, and honestly, it should only get better once Josh Jacobs returns to the lineup. But right now, it looks like they have a solid foundation. This is a Raiders team that if they if they can keep it all together, put it all together, this could be a dangerous team in December and January. This is a team that can very well make the playoffs. And with how wide open the AFC West is this year, they could very well win it. A win over the Chargers and win and a win over the Bron the next Monday and a win over the Broncos in week six could make the Raiders the class of the AFC West going into November and December and January. Raiders get it done. 3 0. Potential statement game next week against the Chargers. Let's go one state over and go to L.A. for what was meant to be the game of the week. Tom Brady and the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Sean McVay's L.A. Rams. And really, when you think about this, this was really honestly... All Rams. As they come away with a 34-24 win. Tom Brady was 41 of 55 for 432 yards and a touchdown. He got sacked three times. Once by Aaron Donald. Leonard Floyd and Kenny Young got the other two sacks. Tampa's runoff rushing game did not get going at all in this game. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette had nine carries apiece for just 19 yards. They combined for nine carries for just 19 yards. The Buccaneers ran the ball just 13 times. And really... When you have to throw it 55 times, you're not going to run it a whole lot. And that was evident today. With the Bucks just trying to play catch-up all game long. And unfortunately, they just couldn't keep up. Matt Stafford continues his torrid start to the season. 27 of 38. 343 yards. Four touchdowns. Matt Stafford has a new lease on life with Sean McVay and the Rams. And right now, this Rams offense, it just looks near on. Un- 
unbeatable to stop, right? Near impossible to stop at this point. Stoney Michelle filled in for an injured Darrell, Darrell Henderson. 20 carries, 67 yards. Averaging just about three and a half yards a carry. But the story of the game. Deshaun Jackson and Cooper Cup. They were targeted 17 times. They combined for 12 catches, 216 yards, and three TDs. Deshaun Jackson's TD came on the second play of the second half. A 75-yard bomb from Matt Stafford to Deshaun Jackson, who had three catches for 120 and the touchdown. The 75-yard one is going to inflate those stats. Cooper Cup had nine catches for 96 yards and two more TDs. What can you say about the chemistry between Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup? Five touchdown passes between the two in the first three games. That is pretty mind-boggling. Van Jefferson had four catches for 42 yards. Tyler Higby had himself a decent game as a tight end. Five catches for 40 yards and a touchdown. Matt Hugh Stafford. Looks like he has a brand new lease on life in L.A. He is loving life on the West Coast right now. And right now, I think you can say he's potentially in that right near the top of the MVP conversation. I'm not saying he's going to win the MVP award. But right now, he looks right at the top of that conversation. He really does. The Rams have a real big game next Sunday when they host the 3-0 Arizona Cardinals for FC West Supremacy. That game could very well go a long way in deciding who wins that division. And at this point... It may even decide who has the number down the line, who gets the number one seed in the NFC. But right now, I can't help but go with the Rams slightly because of the brilliant offensive mind of Sean McVay and the Rams defense. Even though they gave up 432 yards through the air, they were able to stymie the Buccaneers long enough for the Rams to build their lead and not let go. Rams look good. We'll see how the Buccaneers bounce back from this loss on Sunday night, next Sunday night, when Tom Brady visits Foxborough for the first time since leaving the Patriots after nearly after two decades with that organization. It's going to be a fairly emotional night in Foxborough. I can almost guarantee you that.
our last Sunday afternoon game, our last late Sunday late game, the Minnesota Vikings finally get their first win of the season, and they do it against the Seattle Seahawks of all teams. By the count of 30 to 27. Russell Wilson was 23 of 32 for 298. For 93 yards. and a, or He was averaging 9.3 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns. Or one touchdown, I should say. He got sacked twice. That offensive line has just not. It has been a problem for the Seahawks for quite a while. And the front office hasn't really done anything to correct it. Chris Carson had 12 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. So, solid on the ground there. I'm surprised that the Seahawks didn't really run it. Run it more often. Because they were after nearly six yards a pop. But they had the ball for only like 50 plays. While the Vikings had the ball for 73. DK Metcalf at his big game. Six catches for 107 and a score. DK Metcalf looks like he's going to be one of those top, top receivers for years to come in this league. And as long as he has a guy like Russell Wilson throwing him the football, he's going to be one of those big guys. But today, it just wasn't enough. Kirk Cousins was 30 of 38, very accurate, 323 yards. He averaged 8.5 yards per attempt, so he was getting the ball down the field when he needed to. Three touchdowns, no picks. And the Vikings, they really controlled the game in the second half. Alexander Mad Madison, in, in place of the injured Dalvin Cook, 26 carries for 112 yards, averaging nearly four and a half yards a play. And Amir Abdullah also had five carries for 24 yards. When your top two running backs are averaging four and a half yards a carry, almost five, you're doing something right. Justin Jefferson, what else can be said about this second-year guy? 11 targets for him. Nine catches, 118 yards, and a score. Justin Jefferson looks like the fucking steal of wide receivers in the 2020 NFL Draft. He looks like a freaking stud. And Kirk Cousins has to be extremely fortunate. He's got guys like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen to throw the ball to.
Adam Thielen, by the way, had nine targets on the day, had six catches for 50 yards, and he also reeled in a touchdown. And Tyler Conklin had eight targets himself for a tight end. He had seven catches on the day for 70 yards and a touchdown. So very productive day for him. When you can have over 70 plays and keep that Seattle offense off the field for long stretches of time, you can win games that way. And the Vikings did that. The Vikings finally get back on track with a win over the Seahawks. The NFC and AFC West right now. They look like the two best divisions in football. Those Wild West showdowns we're going to see later on this week are going to be absolutely fucking dandy. That ends part three of this episode. After this short transition, we'll get into our two nationally televised primetime games. Stick right here. Okay, welcome to part four of this podcast. Now that we have our early and late Sunday night, Sunday afternoon games out of the way, it's time that we dig into our two national TV primetime games. And we'll start with our Sunday night football game of the week. The Green Bay Packers go to Santa Clara and defeat the San Francisco 49ers 30-28. to It took a Mason Crosby 51-yard field goal as time expired to get the win. But they got there. In the end, Aaron Rodgers right now looks like that he that he has completely bounced back from the shellacking he got in Week One against the Saints. He was twenty three of thirty three for two hundred sixty one yards, averaging eight yards an attempt. Two touchdowns, no picks. He looks like last year's NFL MVP once again. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon combined for 25 carries for 100 yards, and they got a touchdown on the ground. You can average four yards a carry, I'd say, 
that is getting it done and making it pretty easy on your quarterback. Levante Adams, you know he's going to get his targets. He had 18 in this game. 12 catches for 132 and a score. The only other receiver who had more than two targets in this game was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He held three of those targets for 59 yards. Also had a touchdown as well. Caught the other TD pass from Aaron Rodgers. No one else had more than two targets from Aaron Rodgers in this game. Essentially, this offense, this passing offense essentially runs through Mark, through Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers through the air. It's that simple. Simple, but you just don't know how to stop it. Devontae Adams has really grown into one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. There's no question about it. He has become that number one target for Aaron Rodgers at shows with the 18 targets he had in this game. He had over 50, he had 54% of Aaron's targets in this game. That's mind-boggling. On the other side, Jimmy Garoppolo. You can say he was he had a heroic comeback to bring the Niners back in, into the lead after they trailed 17-0 in the second quarter. He was 25 of 40 for 257 yards, averaging 6.4 yards per pass, two touchdowns, a pick. But he also got sacked four times in this game. He also lost a he also fumbled it away as well. Mistake-free football will more often than not win games. Jimmy Garoppolo had two costly picks and two costly take giveaways, and the Packers capitalized on them. The bread and butter for the 49ers, their ground game was not clicking pretty much at all. Trey Sermon had 10 carries for 31 yards. He had his first NFL touchdown in this game, which is great for him. And I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, he's going to be start to transform into that bell cow back that I saw with both Oklahoma and Ohio State, especially for the Buckeyes, and especially in that Big Ten Championship game last year. And he set a new Ohio State single-game rushing record of 331 yards. Big boy football. And I think the Niners, and I think Trey Sermon, is likely going to be just fine as a runner. And potentially as the lead back for the 49ers going forward. Two guys who got the bulk of the targets from Jimmy G were George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Together they combined, they had 19 targets and they combined for 12 catches 
for 144. Kyle Juszczyk and Brandon Ayuk each had four catches for 37 yards, and those are the two guys that caught the TD passes from Jimmy G. 49ers almost came all the way back and won this game. But even 37 seconds was too much time to leave Aaron Rodgers. And he does it again. Aaron Rodgers does it again in a late game situation and brings the Packers back after the Niners have taken the lead with 37 seconds. And he put Mason Crosby in position to hit a 51-yard field goal to win it. Packers get out, of, get out of the Bay Area with a win. And right now, they lead the NFC North. And at this point, I wouldn't bet against the Green Bay Packers winning that division again. Green Bay has rebounded fairly nicely after that 38-3 shellacking they suffered at the hands of the Saints. Packers will only go as far as Aaron Rodgers can carry them. Aaron Rodgers... And Aaron Rodgers right now is still a damn good QB. And for our final game of this week, we will now go from the Bay Area to Big D. Our Monday Night Football Game of the Week. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely tattoo the Philadelphia Eagles 41 to 21. And even this scoreline doesn't look as close as the game actually was. To be fair, I did not watch this game in its I didn't watch a single second of this game. I did keep track. Jalen Hurts used 25 of 39 for 326, 8.4 yards a carry, an attempt. He had two touchdowns, but two ugly picks, including one that was taken all the way to the house. By Trayvon Diggs. That really salted the game away. For the Dallas Cowboys. They and their running game did not get going at all in this game. They only had 12 rushing plays. That's it. You take away the the 24-yard run by Miles Sanders 
it was essentially just Jalen Hurts running the football. And he did have a lot of success with that. They had to throw because they were down er they were down big early and they ultimately got essentially ran out of the building. Zach Ertz in his return had the most targets of any Eagle receiver. He had four actually, pardon me. Jalen Rager had the most targets of any Eagles receiver. But those targets were starting to come late in the game and when the game was completely out of reach. So. The Eagles did not look good in this game at all. In all honesty. That defense just got fucking scorched. In the first two games of this season, the Eagles allowed a total of 23 points. Six to the Falcons in a win, and 17 in a loss to the Niners. This week, they got torched for 41 points and nearly 400 yards total. I think the Eagles are going to be fine, but they have to find some way to bounce back from this big-ass defeat that they suffered last night. For Dallas, 2-1, and one, all alone at the top of the NFC East. Dak Prescott, very, very good stats. He didn't throw a lot. He didn't really have to. He was 21-26 for 238 yards, averaging 9.2 yards in attempt. That is a good sign. At three touchdowns, no picks. The offensive line was missing one of their key starters, so he did get sacked four times in this game. Other than that, you looked good. The rushing game was really what did the Eagles in, especially the two-headed monster that the that the Cowboys have. Zeke Elliott had 17 carries for 95 yards and two touchdowns. Tony Pollard had 11 carries for 60 yards. If you're getting 28 carries from your top two running backs and they're totaling 155 rushing yards, essentially five and a half yards a carry, that is what you call establishing your ground game and getting the job done. Dalton Schultz, the tight end for the Giants, had the most targets from Dak Prescott. And he turned in a very nice game. Six catches, 80 yards, 
and two of Dak's three touchdown catches in this game. Very health, a very nice staff for a tight end. And I think he's going to be one of Dak's big weapons for the next few years. C.D. Lamb, three catches for 66 yards, typically a home run guy. Amari Cooper, even playing with brute with, with a rib injury, he still chipped in offensively. Four cat, four, he had four targets, tied for the second most of any Cowboy receiver. Three catches for 26 yards. I forgot to mention Zeke, Zeke Elliott also had three catches for 21 yards out of the backfield. So Zeke had 116 total yards of yards of total offense or scrimmage yards. And it adds up to a 41 to 21 win for the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas looks like the favorite to win the NFC East. Next week. They have a very intriguing matchup as they host the unbeaten Carolina Panthers. That is a game that I feel is very underrated and it really should be a great game to watch. The Panthers. Look like they have turned it around this season. Next Sunday against the Cowboys is going to be a big test. If they pass that test in Big D, if their defense has show, shows up in Dallas like they, they've done the first three games of this season, where they've held opponents to 10 total points. Which is the best in the NFC? I can see the Panthers as a real wild card team. I think the division is still going to be taken by the Buccaneers. But if Carolina beats Dallas in Big D next week, then. The Panthers will look like a truly legit playoff team. And ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for my NFL Week 3 review for the 2021 NFL season. And that will conclude Episode 10 of the Sports Analysis Podcast. This is your host, Craig Skiff. Saying goodbye for now. But next week, next Tuesday, I have two huge episodes on the way. The first will be my NFL Week 4 review for the 2021 season. And then... My second episode of the day will be my 2021-22 NHL season preview 
and predictions where I will be joined by Mr. Mark Shoneman as we will dissect how teams look, what the lineups look like compared to the previous 56-game season, which teams we th- and which teams we think will win their respective divisions and make the Stanley Cup playoffs and determine the order of each division. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it. This is your host, Craig Skiff, signing off for now. Join me next week for two huge episodes. And until then, be true to yourself. Treat the people around you the same way that you want to be treated. And I'll catch you all next Tuesday for those two big episodes. So until then, tune in and peace out.